Hello, this is Brother Simmons. I'm from uh, Leading the Leaders. Uh, and throughout the week, we have a podcast that's concentrated on leadership. But on Sunday, we have one that's concentrated on the Word of God. Uh, each Sunday, we do our alone uh, interactive type uh, Bible study, which means you will hear other voices on the recording besides my own. But we look to explore an options of the Bible um, where all leadership principles uh, are arrived from. Uh, so we want to invite you uh, each Sunday here uh, to join us and have your Bibles with you. And we will open up what the Word of God says so that we have a closer walk with Jesus and have a a more form understanding of the Word of God. So welcome and thank you for listening. Can we thank God for allowing us to come take part in the Word? We ask as always that we open your, our hearts and our minds to what the Word has to say, that it become powerful, that it become meaningful in everything we do, that you will get the glory and the honor. And we ask all these things in your presence in Jesus' name we pray. Thank God, amen. So we're going to look at uh, first the, what does it mean? The first question says, what does it mean to pray in the Spirit? And are we directed to do so as a believer? Is this different from praying, praying in tongues? Okay, so the first thing we would want to, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians uh, 14, 15. So 1 Corinthians 1415. You there? 1415. 1 Corinthians 1415. I'm there. Okay, what does it say? Wait, um. What is it then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. Okay. That's one passage of Scripture we could use. And then we can go to go also to Ephesians 6.18. So let's go, let's go to Ephesians 6.18. Yes. Okay, so what does it say? Praying always with all prayers and supplements. Supplication. Supplication in the spirit and watching there unto with all perseverance. Perseverance and supplication for all things. Okay, so that's a second reference to us praying in the uh, spirit. And then we could go to Jude 20. Go to Jude 20. So there's only one chapter in Jude, so you don't have to say Jude 1 because there's only one. So Jude 20. Okay. Let's see. And it says, Ye below, bringing up your Building up. Oh, my Building up yourself on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Okay, so Holy Ghost is the same thing as the Holy Spirit. All right, so we got three references to the Bible telling us. So the question, are we directed? Yes, we are. As a believer, you're directed to pray. Pray in the whole, pray in the spirit. Okay, so now, in order to get a understanding of what it means to pray in the spirit, we would have had to elaborate on some of those scriptures. Like I said before, when you're reading the scriptures, you should go above and below to find out to put it into the proper context. If we did that with Ephesians one or six and eighteen, and we were to go back up, we'd find out that how we put on the whole armor of God is actually by praying in the Spirit. However, that does not answer the question 
of what is praying in the spirit. In order, if you get a collection of all three of these scriptures, the one thing you find that's in common is that when you pray in the spirit, you're basically praying in the will of God, meaning you're putting God first because that's what he instructs us to do. Does he not? Yeah. Where does he instruct us to do that? Because um, this is also in the Bible. I think it's Luke 18 1 says what? Luke 18 1 says, And he spake a parable. Parable. Parable unto them to this end, that men ought only to pray nothing. Okay. So what does that mean then? Because I'm going to bring that up later on. But what if we were to go to, what if we were to go to Matthew, where he commands us to do what? What does what does Jesus tell us to do? Be careful. He tells us to seek seek what first? Seek he says, Seek ye, that's all of you, the kingdom of God. So he so he tells us to seek the kingdom of God first. Okay? Mm-hmm. And that's in Matthew, if I'm not mistaken, six and go down to, I think it's 33. Yes. See if that's right. Okay. It says, yeah, this is us. It says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Okay, so that's telling us, just like in our prayer life, and all by the way, that passage of scripture where you were talking about is very key when we're going to go a little more into some of the other stuff later on. But so he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, okay, and his righteousness because we don't have any righteousness. The righteousness that we have is nothing if we think we have it. Therefore, we are seeking the righteousness of Christ. So the righteousness of Christ is what we're desiring. And when we seek him first, Everything else falls into place. That's in God's order. So you cannot then come to prayer and say, well, I'm going to pray like I want to, and it's still going to be acceptable to God because it will not. And just like you remember last time when we talked about in Romans 8 and 26, y'all remember Romans 8 and 26? Really? Well, go there quickly. No, wax cold is in Matthew 24. This is Romans um, 8 and 26. I think we covered this last Sunday. See what it says? It says, And ye said unto him, Why are ye therefore No, Romans 8. Oh, Romans. Yeah, Romans 8. In 28, so we're gonna we're gonna start at um. I want to go back up though. I want to I want you to show I want to show you something. Okay, so Romans eight. Go to Romans. We we did Romans eight, twenty eight, where it says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. Okay, but let's go back up to Romans. 826, because once again, you should not take that passage of Scripture out of context. Let's put it in the context and find out what God is, what the Apostle Paul is really talking about. So go to Romans 8 and 26. What does it say? It says, likewise, the Spirit also helps it all infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself 
naked naked intercession intercession for us for groanings for groanings which not be others. Okay, when you when you pray in tongues, you cannot understand it. Okay? Praying in tongues requires an interpretation of what's being said. That tongue is unknown tongues. It's not known tongues. It's unknown tongues. And the only person that knows what's going on is God. But look what it says the Holy Spirit does for us. It says, likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities, for we, do not, for we know not what we should pray. So people who think they know how to pray, they do not. The Bible says we do not know how to pray. When the disciples came to Jesus, what did they say? Jesus, teach us to pray, because they did not understand how to pray. Okay? But this says that the Holy Spirit make intercession for us. So what it does, even though we have a fouled-up prayer, it makes intercession and then does what? It goes to heaven. The Holy Spirit says, hey, I want this prayer to be acceptable to God, so I'm going to intervene. I'm going to make intercession. That's what it does. So he makes intercession for us so that the, the prayer that he gets is not the prayer that we pray. And this is how we get to Romans 28, I mean, and then 27 says, And he that searches the heart knoweth what is in the mind of the Spirit because he maketh intercession for the things, according to what? The will of God. This is how you pray in the Spirit. Because even if, I, if I'm praying in the flesh only, the, the Holy Spirit is not making intercession. But see, what the Holy Spirit does, it, it, it does what? Just like we talked about way back when we talked about in Genesis, we said that the Holy Spirit, and we understand the Trinity, Right? God the Father plans and directs the whole the Trinity, okay? God the Son carries it out. And then God the Holy Spirit makes sure that it ties back to the will of God the Father, okay? So that they have a unity of the Spirit always. So they always under, they always in one accord, yes. Yeah, I think I told you that, but anyway. Okay. I don't know. You might have heard it somewhere. Well, no, no, I know, but it's, it's just like the three branches. Right. Three, well, we did that like that, but but there's a problem though, because you he requires the word of God to operate smoothly, and that's what we are not doing today, and that's why it's looking like it's scrambled eggs. It's really not. It's just that people out of place. Okay. So then that leaves us when he says, "For all things according to the will of God." So anybody that's in the will of God. If you're praying in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit will make intercession for you. So if you make a mistake asking for something or, or actually trying to communicate with God, the Holy Spirit is supposed to intervene for you. But that's only if he's directing your actions, though, including prayer. Because the first thing what we do when we get in trouble, we pray for what? We pray for relief. Oh, God, help me. God, get me out of this mess I'm in, Right? Well, is that praying according to the spirit or is that praying according to the flesh? Yeah. That's praying according to the, the flesh because what we really should pray is that if God, if it be your will, do X, Y, Z, right? Because we talked about it, prayer is just nothing more than communication with God. That's what it is. But God is a spirit, and he, if you worship him, you must do it in spirit and in truth. So you have to be in the spirit in order to, to communicate with God. Okay, now you're going to physically do it, but the spirit means you're putting God's first. It's the will of God comes first in everything you do. Now, here's my comments, and then we're going to go on to the second question. It says, uh, to pray in the spirit means to put God first in your prayers. It means to pray by the leading of the Holy Spirit, which means one would have to yield their way in order to do so. It means praying in for, it, it, means, it means praying for, and in the will of God, not in self-interest. It should be also noted that the Lord Jesus said that we as Christians should always pray. That's what you read in Luke 18, 1, CJ, which means we should have a prayer life and not prayers which are added to life. 
If Jesus said that we should always pray, he said that men should always pray is continuous. Because what did Jesus do when he was on his earth? He continuously prayed. And that's why the disciples came to him and asked, hey, they said, hey, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Okay, so we're going to leave this subject for a brief moment and go to the second question. What is the problem when someone proclaims that he or she cannot see, seem to find God? Okay, so our first thing was, let's go to Jeremiah 29, 13, because we always want to put our answers and bases of the scripture. So whenever it's possible, which most of the time is very possible, because the questions are coming out of uh, the Bible, Go to Jeremiah 29.13. 29.13, Jeremiah. Okay, what does it say? It says, And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me for all your glory. Okay. So what is our answer then? What is the problem... What is the problem when someone proclaims that he or she cannot find God, can't seem to find God? Yes. The answer is they're not fully like trying to commit to God and trying to find Him, and they're not. They're not. They want the Holy Spirit, but then it's being like I'm gonna do all this different stuff, but I still wanna um, have the Holy Spirit. So the answer is in that thing when it says, it says, and ye, that's all of you, shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. That don't mean you sit down and go, hey, I really want to find God, and then you do nothing. Because didn't it say seeking? Isn't that what it says? Isn't that the same thing Hebrews eleven twenty six says? But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he, for he that comes to God must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. There go that word again. Right? Isn't that the same thing Jesus said in in Matthew 7? When he he said there's two things. Didn't we read that yesterday? He said that there's two paths to him. He said, well, not to him, but there's two paths. He says in Matthew 7, 14, excuse me, Matthew 7, 13, it says, any ye at the gate, at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many that be go thereof at. So the many people that travel on this road to destruction. But he says in verse 14, Matthew 7, 14, he says, but straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth into life, and few that be that find it, because they have to be seeking for it. You've got to be looking for it. If you're not seeking it, you're not going to find it. If you're not seeking it, you're on the big road. You're on the broad road which everybody's going down, okay? That's your two options. And oh, by the way, and we asked the question in, in Matthew uh, 7, 14, he says, and the narrow, and narrow is the way. What is the narrow way? What is the narrow way he's talking about? No, he's talking about himself. Jesus is the narrow way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by him, okay, except by me is what he's saying. So Jesus is the narrow way. Matter of fact, let's look at this passage of Scripture real quick, all right? So we're talking about people that can't seem to find God. I'm going to read you all something. Now listen carefully. I'm going to read you something. And I want you to tell me that this person knew God is. Listen to this. I find it hard to believe that my God would would co-sign four-fifths of the world going to hell. I can't imagine that my God would allow some little Hindu kid in India who never interacts with the Christian faith to somehow burn in all eternity. That's just not part of my religious makeup, okay? The question is nothing. I read that statement. Now, here is the question. Does this person know who God is? No. Why not? Because it's only to tell the truth about him. 
when really, if you read the Bible, you're going to know the things. Basically, that was God is because if you read the Bible, you'll learn all these things and why it happened, and then you understand how, who God is because you understand more than you can be. And what does this person possess is writing the, this is a quote, by the way. This is the rec- direct quote from somebody, okay? But what is this person full of? Well, that too, but what are they full of? Read it again. I find it hard to believe that my God would co-sign four-fifths of the world to hell. I can't imagine that my God would allow some little Hindu boy in India who never interacts with the Christian faith to somehow burn for eternity. That, that is just not part of my religious makeup. What is this person full of? Pride. They're full of themselves and pride because every other word is talking about themselves. What are they, what are they doing? They're putting themselves in the place of God. Because the last time I checked, you and I don't determine who goes to hell. God does. Yeah, if we determine who goes to hell, we're saying we're the righteous judge, not God. Okay? Now, who made this statement? It's a person. Who made this statement? Devil? Not the devil. He may be full of the devil. This is this is your former President Obama made this statement. Okay, let me read you another statement. So I so I am rooted in the Christian tradition. I believe there are many paths to the to the same place. And there is a belief that there is a higher power. They believe that we are connected as people, that there are values that transcend race or culture that move us forward, and there is an obligation for all of us individually as well as collectively to take responsibility to make those values lo- to make those values lived. Okay. Now this this person. This, this place that he's talking about, because this is another quote, you know the place he's talking about when he says, I believe that there are many paths to the same place? What's the same place he's talking about? Heaven. He's talking about heaven. Okay? Now, when we read the Bible, what does the Bible say about heaven? How many places, how many paths are there to get to heaven? One. One. We just read it. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said that there's, a, there's one narrow way to get to life eternal, and it's through him. Come on, come on. Shut up, shut up. So... If you look at what this person is saying, they're contradicting the scripture. They're saying, I believe there's many ways to get to the same place. And there is a belief that there is a higher power. What is that? That's denying the existence of God. Because God, God is not just a higher power. Two angels are higher powers than we are, aren't they? According to the Bible, we are we are made lower than the angels. And then the back end of this is really um, telling because it talks about human solving human problems. That's called humanism. Now, who made this statement? Obama? No. President Obama. Now, you tell me, how can a, gr- a group of people that supposedly is supposed to be led by Christ and the Holy Spirit can accept this person for anything except for what they are, and that's anti-Christ. Have you noticed there's nothing in there talks about Christ at all because they don't know who God is? Okay, here, here, I'm going to read you another statement, okay? I will be, 
I will, it says, I will be asking for forgiveness, but hopefully I won't have to ask for much forgiveness. What's wrong with this person? <laughs> they're being lazy. How are they being lazy? Because you said, they don't want to ask for forgiveness. Okay. I'll buy that. But read into it now. You got to be able to break down stuff and analyze it. We talked about this before. As a Christian, you and I are supposed to have discernment because when you have the Holy Spirit, it gives you discernment comes with it. Okay? It says, I will be asking for forgiveness, but hopefully I won't have to ask for much forgiveness. What is this person trying to do? They're trying to live a righteous life. Because they say, I don't want to ask for forgiveness. Okay? However, is this person denying God, though? Uh, like the person did previously? Yes, they'll do it. Are they? I will ask for forgiveness, but I hopefully I won't have to ask for much forgiveness. The person he's talking about asking forgiveness for is, is from God, by the way. So what's wrong with this person is they are trying to do just like many Christians today. We don't want God to do what to us. What do we do? What do we do not want God to do? Discipline us. He don't. We don't want God to do what the Bible says, chasing us. That's disciplining you. You know why? Because we want to be wrapped up in our own righteousness. The only problem is. You and I do not have any righteousness according to the word of God. Okay? So who made this statement? Who? No. Hillary Clinton would have made statements similar to what Obama did. Bill Clinton is Hillary Clinton's husband, so they would have made the same statement. Birds of a feather flock together. No. No. This is President Trump made this statement. Okay. No, Gandhi don't believe in Christ. He says he can get. He says he can get to God in many different ways. He says you can get to heaven in many different ways. That's antichrist, by the way. Anything, anybody, and anything that says they can get to God without Christ, that's antichrist because they, they're trying to bypass God and get. They're trying to bank, bypass Christ and get to God. Okay. He go another one. I like to be good. I don't like to have to ask for forgiveness, and I am good. I don't do a lot of things that are bad. I try to do things that it, I I try not to do things that is. I try not to do. I try to do nothing that is bad. What's wrong with this person? That they're doing the same thing. They're trying to say, I'm going to live in my own righteousness. This is what most Christians are trying to do right now. And, you see, when you adopt that message, anything you do after that becomes righteous. You know why? You said, well, I believe in Christ, so that makes me righteous. Therefore, anything I do is righteous. Okay? But that's wrong. Who made this statement? Trump did. President Trump did. Okay? No, but I'm just trying to show you that you and I should analyze what people say because we should have discernment. But these, these, this one person is basically 100% outside the will of God. This other person is, is linked into just like many Christians. They're trying to live on their own. They're trying to say their righteousness is going to get them to heaven. That's not true. But of the two people, one have a chance of getting there, the other one does not. Because if you deny Christ, you ain't going nowhere. I don't care whatever you do. But I can be jacked up, and what we read is if I pray in the Spirit and I am what God would call, I'm outside the will of God, this is the Spirit makes intercession for us. So one of these people are not even going to pray in the Spirit because, first of all, they're going to leave Jesus out. And when you leave Jesus out, you out. You all the way out, okay? So now let's go to the third question. I think we already um, thing. What does it mean to walk in the spirit 
And is it different from praying in the spirit? Okay, so I'm a little behind, so I'm going to speed up a tad bit. Okay, to walk in the spirit, and this is my answer. I read your answers and, and whatever. Yeah, it's not the same, but this is it. It is walking in the spirit, that is. It is the daily living by the control and the allowance of the controlling of the Holy Spirit of Christ. That is words and deeds. I don't just talk it, I do it. A lot of people talk it, but they don't do it. And the Bible says he judges your heart. That is your actions from your heart. It means that the Holy Spirit is leading and guiding our actions. In Romans 8, 11, it says, but if the spirit of him that raised Christ from the dead dwell in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. It says in verse 12, this is Romans 8, 12, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. But if you live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if you live through the spirit, do, modi- do modify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. If you're not led by the Holy Spirit, you're not walking in the Spirit. If it's not a daily occurrence, not just when you pray, you're not operating in the Spirit. Look what it says. Well, I'm not going to read that. Okay, let me read my comments. It says, walking in the Spirit like praying in the Spirit, is to pick God first. Compare a story we find in the book of Habakkuk. The people were living in good houses and were saying that their time was not ready to build the house of the Lord. But God corrected them on this. This is a, this is a couple of things to note. There is a couple of things to note that we're getting resistance and then we stop. This is what the people did back in the days of Habakkuk. The reason why they said it was not time to build the house of the Lord is because it had some resistance. Sounds like many Christians today. As soon as we make resistance, what do we do? Oh, it's not for me. God don't have it. It ain't God's will. Not true. Because if you read the Bible, when you're in the will of God, it's always going to be, not always, but sometimes it's going to be very, very crafty, it's going to be very, very, um, it's going to have much turmoil to it, okay? When Joseph was in prison, was he in the will of God? Absolutely. When the Hebrew boys were thrown in the fiery furnace, were they in the will of God? Absolutely. When Daniel was thrown in the lion's den, was he, was he in the will of God? Absolutely. When the children of Israel spent 400 years in Egypt as slaves, were they in the will of God? Absolutely. All in the will of God. So don't tell me when you get a little bit of resistance, then that's not the will of God. It is. Okay? That's what we got to remember. All right, so let's go on to, let's go on to question four. Can we become a Christian while acknowledging Christ only as our Savior? No. No? Why not? Because you're not acknowledging him as Lord God. Okay, so he has to be our Savior and our Lord. And Lord, that word means what? Ruler or owner. It means ruler or owner. It means the Lord rule you. Remember the Bible says that we've been bought with a price? Well, when somebody buy you with a price, they own you. Okay? They own you. So a lot of people today want to have God as a Savior. The world believes that Christ is the Savior. You know what they don't believe? They don't believe he's the Lord because you know how you know? You look at their life, and they're not being led by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, they're living lives contrary to God. At the same time, they say they believe in God, but their life living is contrary to God. That's what the Bible calls lukewarm, okay? That's what the Bible calls double-minded. Now, in in Revelation, Jesus tells us what happened to lukewarm people. He says he spew you out of his mouth, Okay? So don't mean I just have a belief that he's a savior or what have you. But we have the we have the proof that he's what he's Lord and Savior. Remember we talked about it when it, when the when the Millennium Kingdom takes place, it's going to be Christ is going to be ruling from Jerusalem for a thousand years. Okay. Then Satan is going to be released. Why is he going to be released? 
Because some people are going to have to acknowledge that he is Savior, but they don't want him to be the Lord. So they're going to re- when when Satan is released for one last rebellion, and Christ is going to fit him down, it's so he can gather his own. Those people might accept him as Savior because he's going to be the only option. Because Satan's going to be detained for a thousand years, but when he's released, they're going to show his true colors, and they're going to reject Christ and they're going to try to fight against him that is on Satan's side, okay? All right, so let's go to check question five. In question five, there's an error, yes? Is it going to be some people who are with Jesus? Jesus is going to be ruling everything. He's going to be ruling from Jerusalem. So when saying people with Christ. No, I'm saying there's going to be people with Christ, but there's going to be some people that don't want to be under Christ. So they're going to rebel against him. Everyone was just going to go next year. Then that means nobody would get to heaven. Did you? No, I mean like on the earth. No, because the earth says that who's going to be on earth? It's going to be 144,000 for the, from the nation of Israel and then a, a multitude that no man can number. That means if you kept numbering, you would keep, keep making mistakes. Is that plentiful? So all those people are going to be earth dwellers. Okay? Could you count into the billions? No, because you keep making mistakes. You can't even count in the thousands, actually. When you get to like 100,000, and you're like, what number was I own again? <laughs> so it's not possible. That's, that's, that's the multitude that's going to be saved during the tribulation time, okay? But we're, not, we're, we're off basis, okay? <laughs> but anyway, let's go on. Let's go to question five. Question five had a typo on it, and it says, go back to John 6, 24, but that should have been what? Four and 24, okay? And consider what the real lesson that Jesus is attempting us to understand. So let's go quickly to John, not six, but let's go to John four (laughs) and 24. All right? So what does John four and 24 say? This is God. This is you speaking. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in the spirit and the truth. Okay. Now, we took that passage of Scripture, and one of the things I've been trying to get us to understand that you would never take a, a, a passage of Scripture out of context, okay? You put it into context to get what Jesus is trying to say or whoever it is speaking. In this case, Jesus is speaking, so we want to put what Jesus said in context, okay? So what is this whole story about? First of all, you would have to read it. Jesus, is, is, Jesus comes to this well, and there's a woman there. She's a Samaritan woman, and she makes a comment. And what is the comment that she makes is she makes a comment that why Jesus being a Jew, say give, why, would you say, why, why would you say give me a drink when you know the Jews and the Samaritans don't get along? They're arch enemies, okay? So this woman questions why Jesus being a Jew and, and obviously she's a Samaritan woman. Why would she do, why would he be asking her for a drink of water? Okay? I'm going to drop down in the conversation or whatever. Okay? Because the woman makes this statement. The woman says, and let me find it. The woman says, what did she say? In 19, the woman says unto, her, unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Why does she make that statement? Because Jesus, after the conversation, starts telling her intimate things about her life that, that only God would know. So she's thinking this is a man from God. So let me ask you guys a question. Is she correct in stating that Jesus is a prophet? Yes. Well, what is a prophet? What is a prophet? What is what? No, he is Jesus Christ. So how can he have insight on well, Jesus Christ? Well, he's not a prophet. He is Jesus Christ. He's a guy. Okay, but what is a, what, what is a prophet? He's not a prophet, but a he is a prophet. But what is a prophet? Yeah, he's the last of the prophets. Oh, so isn't it so? I he's a person that comes from God with what a message. That's what a prophet is. They have insight. 
They have three sites. He's God. He's going to have all three sites. He created them. So, so he's a prophet. He's the last of the prophets, okay? And he's the first of the apostles. Apostles, apostles and prophets are different. Old Testament is the prophet. New Testament is the apostle. He's all of them because he's eternal, okay? He's both. The last prophet, that's why you can't get anything more than what Jesus has given you because he's the last prophet. He's the last word from God. He makes it clear in Revelation that he's the last word from God. Okay? But anyway, so she's right in perceiving that he's a prophet, but he's more than that. And this is when Jesus tells her, if you go down, because she makes a statement that, huh? No, she makes a statement that, go down to verse 25. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he's come, he would tell us all things. No, he's not dead yet because this is what? This is a fourth of John. So where's where's he going to be? Where's he going to go and get rather or crucified? Is going to be the back end of the books. Okay, so this is when he's walking amongst men. This is his earthly ministry. Okay, but anyway, so when he is talking to this woman, she makes a comment that she knows the Messiah is coming, and she knows that he's going to his name is going to be Christ. He's going to be the anointed one. And so what did Jesus say in the verse 26 verse? Jesus said unto her, unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Okay? So all of this is why is Jesus telling her God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in the spirit and in truth. Because remember, she makes the, 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 she makes the woman does, says that we believe that is the, the Samaritans believe you worship God where? In the mountains. In the mountains. Okay? But then she says, you, the Jews, believe in worshiping God where? In Jerusalem. Jesus corrects her and says, listen, in verse 23, but the hour comes and now is, I mean it's here, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such to worship him. So what is, he, what is the whole message of him saying God is the spirit and they didn't worship him or worship him in spirit and truth is that the lady was keen on what? Where at? The place. He said, no, it ain't about the place no more. That's what he says. That he says, he said, but the hour come that true worship should worship God in spirit and in truth. That moves from the physical realm into the spiritual realm. It's whether or not you're in the spirit. Many people go to church and they think, when I go to church, I'm worshiping God. But according to the scripture, that ain't where worship takes place. Where is he talking about worship takes place? It's in your heart. That's where worship takes place at. Just like we talked about it. In Old Testament, where did the people have to go to to worship God? In the Old Testament, the tabernacle in the wilderness, and then when they actually settled in the promised land, where did they have to go to worship God? They had to go to the temple, which was in Jerusalem. They could not arbitrarily just worship God anywhere. God mandated that they had to go to the temple in order to worship him. But remember, Jesus is coming on the scene, and this is absolutely new. Did you understand the Jews had to go to the temple in order to worship God? The day after he's resurrected, though, they don't have to go to the temple anymore because the temple is now in your heart is what God looks at. Because why? It's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So now, look, this is what I want to say. The devil attempts to get us to disconnect from two things. What are the two things the devil tried to disconnect us from? Well, you can say that. One is the word of God, and then the other is the spirit of God. Okay? 
The devil is always going to try to connect you from the word of God and the spirit of God. Because if, can, can, if he can disconnect you from one of them, you will not have the authority that God tells you to have over things. Okay? You will not be able to fulfill your earthly goal for, for in Christ's sake anyway. Okay? A lot of people have the word of God, but they don't have the spirit of God. Okay? The Pharisees had the word of God, but what did Jesus tell them? He said, you're not practicing the word of God in the spirit of God. So it became what? It became ritual. It became legalism. It became religion. And they weren't even doing it. They were telling everybody to do all this stuff, and they themselves were not doing it because they lacked the spirit of God. Then some people have the spirit, but they leave behind the word. If I have the spirit of God, and that's where all this love message come from, and I leave the word of God alone, what's going to happen? I'm going to be misguided because the word of God is the roadmap to get me to where I'm going. You see what I'm saying? So this, the devil is always going to try to separate you from one of them because if he does, you effectively will be spinning out of control. you got to remember this. Okay? Now, that was the last question that I had. So let's go quickly because we've got like 10 minutes. I'm going to try to get into um, Genesis real quick. I want to get into Genesis 2. All right? So I guess I'm, I was going to do a review of Genesis 1, but I'm going to save that. Okay? So let's go to Genesis 2. Let me do a brief comment. In Genesis 2, it is actually just explaining the details of what God had already done in Genesis 1. Also, we see that instead of saying God, in Genesis 2, it is replaced by the Lord God, which displays the sign of a relationship of some type. Okay? So let's go in and let's start. It says in Genesis, 1, uh, Genesis 2, 1, thus the heavens and the earth will finish and all the hosts of them. All right? First thing we want to note is this. Why is, or this is a question, why is it stating heavens now? In Genesis 1, it was heaven and earth. Now in Genesis 2, it says, thus the heavens and the earth was finished in all the hosts of them. Why, what's the change? Um, because... <laughs> What happened? Because men was created. Well, what does that have to do with heavens being plural now? Men don't live in heaven, do we? So, so the question is, why is it in, in Genesis 1... It says heaven, and then in Genesis 2, it says heaven. Um, I don't know. Okay, well, that's something you guys can search then. Why is why is there more than one heaven? Because how many heavens is it according to the Bible? Uh, three, I believe. It's three heavens. The about, Apostle Paul said he went to the third heaven. You're talking about that's what's going right. Did he, did he see it? Like he did this heaven? No, I don't have time to explain it either. Okay, but he so the first heaven is what the. The skies, okay? We can see the skies. Well, we don't live in the skies, but we see stuff like the clouds and all this stuff like that. What's the second heaven? Is it, wait, is it because? Then it's the, the stratosphere, right? We would call that outer space. But then there's another heaven, and that heaven is where God resided. And that's where Paul said he went, okay? 
All right, so, so that's one of the reasons why. So when, when Genesis 1, he created heaven and earth, so all those heavens was created inside of that. But he says heaven, one, but now he's going to do, he says heavens, because from, from here on out, remember, he's explaining what he'd already have done. Okay? Just like he said he created men or whatever. Then he's going to break it down. He made it men and women. He's going to tell you how he did it. Yes, go ahead. Quickly. I remember, I'm sorry. I was reading it. This is back in my head. <laughs> this is when it was like how it was just gone. But besides that, um, I remember there's this one of us, and God was talking about, oh, God, but I'm pretty sure it was, they were talking about not minute, but it was, they were talking about how, oh, I'm pretty sure it was like heaven, and earth is like, it's like, earth is like a, 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 a,
okay? But God said every seven years that they was going to rest. They did not do it. And they didn't do it for a couple of years. It was 490 years they didn't do it. That's how you got to the, that's how you got the 70 years they were going to be in captivity. You know, it's really crazy about that. If you read the Bible, what did God do in the sixth year anyway? No, he always watched over. What did he do in the sixth year? Because he already had a he already had a plan for them to have a seventh year where they wasn't going to do anything. They, they, they look, the field and stuff was going to lay dormant. Well, in the sixth year, he gave them double. He gave them enough to go a whole year without actually planting crops. So what are they doing when they planted crops in that seventh year? They were being greedy. That's why they did not set it aside. They were going against the will of God, and that's why they were punished by going into captivity seven years. Okay? Now, they were doing other stuff, but the reason why God took them out of the land, because he says, I told you all that the land is going to rest for every seventh year, so you owe me 70. Okay, so once again, you you see that God is really, really patient. Yes. Okay? Now, I'm going to drop down the verse 5. Okay, and it says, And every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew, for the Lord had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. What is particular about this, and what have you, is that it was it had not rained. Remember when we talked about Noah in the in the flood or what have you? What why did they not believe Noah? Because they said, Hey, it hadn't even rained on the earth yet. What happened on the earth? Huh? Nothing. What happened on the earth is in verse what? This this is in verse six. But there was a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. So it's just like when you go into a greenhouse, okay? The greenhouse, a lot of people have these sprinkler systems. Some people have it on the top, and some people have it on the ground. But a mist comes up, and it always keeps that air moist or what have you, okay? It keeps it moist. But that's how the whole earth was. So everything was watered from the ground up, not from the sky down. No, okay? Huh? Now it is because we fell. Okay? All right, so what time is it? All right, we started a little late, so I got a little bit of time. So let's go to 15. Verse 15. I'm skipping over some of this stuff, but I'm trying to hit some key points that you've got to remember the concept because this will be covered later on when you study the scriptures. And this is verse 15. This is Genesis 2.15. And the Lord God took the man, look what he says, and the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it, to keep it. Now, according to what I just read, the earth was perfect. There was nothing for Adam to do, yet God gave him a job. That's important. God never blesses anybody that's sitting on their butt. If you're sitting on your blessed assurance, God is not going to help you. This is a biblical principle all the way through time. You know, what was when Saul was appointed the first king of Israel, what was he doing? Huh? I said, God never promotes somebody who sits on their butt. So he couldn't have been sitting on his butt because he was anointed the first king of Israel. What was he doing? He was looking for his daddy's lost donkeys. It wasn't a glamorous job, but he still was doing it. What was David doing when he was anointed king over Israel? He was tending to his father's sheep. The sheep herder is one of the lowest jobs you can do in Israel. It's given to usually, like he was, the youngest kid, the youngest boy. It was not a glamorous job, but he was doing it. You see my point? You got my point. God never promotes people who sitting on their butt doing nothing. When you guys sit down and watch video games and, and all this other nonsense, you're sitting on your butt 
doing nothing. Okay? Just remember that. That's the principle laid down. You can't even get out of Genesis. God already laid down the principle that he gave Adam a job, even though everything on the earth was working. He didn't have to water the garden. He didn't have to do anything to the garden. God did him over it anyway. Okay? That's as far as I'm going to go. I'm going to, we're going to go into the rest of Revelation. I'm going to go, I mean, Revelation, Genesis, but I want to take a little time because we've already come to the trees of the garden. They're breaking it down. God already made all this, but now they're explaining it in detail in Genesis 2, okay? So we're going to go into, because there's a couple of concepts we're going to have to understand, especially verse 18. Matter of fact, if you get a chance, look at verse 18 when it says that he created the woman to be a help meet. We're going to talk in depth about what that means because that's one of the many problems we have in society right now that women are out of place, Okay? Women are out of place and is a is a royal trick of the devil, okay? And that's why if you look later on, what happens is because they're out of place. They never got back into it is into the place God put them at, okay? All right? So but we want to expand on that. So what questions or comments do you have? Because we're finished. We're finished, we're finished, we're finished. I've got a comment. You can kind of see... Uh, one second, was it 16 or 9 when John Adams said, Thou shalt shall not eat, kind of tied into not being promoted, like nothing to eat. Correct. You see why these principles are important? Because what he quoted, he quoted Thessalonians, okay? That's what the Apostle Paul wrote to the. Um, one of his letters to the Thessalonians, but they get the concept out of Genesis. Okay? So the next time you think about being lazy and you think you're walking in the Spirit, you need to pray in the Spirit so you can get right. Because God never promotes people who are not doing anything. That's why socialism and communism and all this stuff like that doesn't work because it says the government is going to take over and the people don't have to do anything. Okay? And that shows you how far we off in this country because we buying off on that nonsense. But God made us to work. Why? Because he did it work. Okay? You know, by the way, we're going to get in, in depth in this because a lot of times people don't. Oh, yes, what? So how do you know when you just be lazy and you're relaxing? Because when you're lazy, you, you tend to relax all the time. <laughs> That's the difference. If you're working and then you take a break, let's say you take an hour. If you relax half of the time, you're lazy, okay? Because the vast majority of your time or equal to what when you're working, you're relaxing. That's not how it's supposed to be, right? So now if you take 10 minutes out of an hour to take a break, that's, that's reasonable. You know, you know what I mean? No, it is, because if, you, if you're not working and doing stuff or what have you, you're just lazy. You're just, what you're doing is you're entertaining yourself. And we have a problem with self-entertainment in this country. We love to self-entertain ourselves. Well, this house applies too. If you just, just, just look at what you're doing and look at how much time you actually work and then how much time you actually, what you call, you guys call what? Chillaxing? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's one of the things you got to do. Because aren't you supposed to do that anyway? You're supposed to do self-evaluation of what you're doing. It's continuous. I think you can't do it too much this way. It's not, it's not going to be a value. You just do nothing. Yeah, you're just doing nothing. Because what you do, when you do nothing, what do your body want to do is more of nothing. Okay. No, you shouldn't sleep. The Bible says you shouldn't sleep all those long hours. You know what that is called? Lazy. The more you sleep, the more your body wants to sleep. But the, when you get up and move and stuff like that, you only need certain amount of sleep or whatever. That's in yeah, that's in the Old Testament. The Bible talks about a person who sleeps a lot. It's not good either. And there you have it. Okay. So what other questions do we have? Okay, if we have none, we're going to end the recording with a prayer. Our Father, we thank you, Lord, for allowing us to come 
taking part in your word, Lord. As always, we ask that we just not be hearers of the word, but we doers of the word. And everywhere we go and everything we do, that you'll get the glory and the honor. And it's by the authority of your precious son, and in his name we pray. Thank God. Amen. Hello, and thanks for listening to our our podcast today. Uh, We really appreciate it. We hope that there was something said that would have you have a deeper walk with Jesus and your knowledge of God has been expanded based off of the Word of God. Um, Once again, this is Craig from Leading the Leaders. If you want to contact us about any of the uh, subject matter on this uh, podcast, you can do so by uh, looking us up on the web at leadingtheleadersllc.net, what have you. And you can find many uh, things that you can enhance your leadership Uh, Also, if you want to uh, find out information or material that we covered during the podcast, once again, we thank you for listening. Uh, God bless.